I'm Helen Lowe, and this is Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted, a series of dialogues I'm sharing with a soul friend and fellow life learner, Lisa Fitzhugh, because we believe that relating to self and other with honesty and vulnerability unlocks the transformational potential needed in a world poised for collapse. While some might challenge the notion that conversation is a catalyst for real change, we trust this most humble of actions is precisely what's needed to dismantle what doesn't work and cultivate a more inclusive and sustainable way of being. Whoever you are, we're honored to have you in the conversation. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Helen. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's a sunny day and it's springtime. That's a good thing. I know. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. The topic that, that's been emerging for you, and I'm very resonant with it right now, is one of um, how we discern in terms of how we make decisions and how we move forward or make choices, um, lead our lives. And this quality of discernment is so interesting, the idea of discernment, because it feels like a really subtle skill. It's different than like the word decide, to decide versus to discern. And so maybe we might just be clear between us what discernment means for each of us. Yeah, I I think that's a great place to start. And actually, I I lead these twice monthly catalyst calls. And um, one of the ways in which I discern what topic uh, to bring to a group is like what feels alive in my life, right? So I'm having one of those calls this evening. And what's been alive in my life is discernment. Mm. And so I thought I would just go look at what the the dictionary says about discernment. Oh, yeah. There were two definitions for the noun discernment. And the first was the ability to judge well. And some of the synonyms were um, discrimination, uh, refinement, cultivation, sophistication, subtlety, insight, perceptiveness, acumen, intelligence, wisdom. And then... The other definition, they related to a Christian context, which I found really interesting, which is the perception, um, perception in the absence of judgment Hmm. with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. Hmm. Hmm. So how interesting that that one definition is the ability to judge well, Uh and the other is the ability to perceive in the absence of judgment. That now that you say that, I think for me, discerning something, to discern something, to 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 make a a healthy choice, a wise choice, a, a you know, a life-giving choice, um, is different for me in that I'm not loading it up with a lot of judgment when I sort of choose one thing over the other or move one way or the other. Um, It's less about a rejection of something and more about an affirmation of something else. Mm. Um, 
And that's to, to embrace and, and affirm something versus reject something does feel like a nuance and does feel like you have to um, uh, explore it at a lot of different levels, um, you know, so to understand how it might feel right for you or how it might really land throughout your body as a good choice. There's something embedded in what you're saying that I want to make explicit. I think that like deciding is kind of a head-based thing. Um, perceptions that are limited maybe to the mind or to the area of the the rational part of the brain that judges mm. versus discernment. Uh, maybe what we could say is that it, in, it involves not not the mind exclusively, not the absence of it, but also the body and the emotions. And we could say this, the spirit or this just this energetic sense that yes. isn't limited to emotions or the body or the mind. Yes. Yes. And it, um, it, the, the mind in deci- in deciding thinks that it has all the information it needs to make a decision. And you know, it's never true that we have all the information. There's always a host of information we can't know. There's always a whole bunch of data that's not available to us when we're making decisions. You know, discerning is actually, if you allow feeling to come into it, you're saying, well, because I don't have all the data from a rational perspective, how about if I let more of the data that I'm getting from a sensory experience infuse my choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then we start to include some of the synonyms for discernment in the first definition, which includes subtlety and like a cultivation and a refinement of perception. We could even say that, yeah. that discernment is really a refined, subtle perception, not just of the facts that the rational linear mind can have access to, which are important. Um, but all this other, as you're saying, all this other information, all these other data points that are way more subtle, including the intelligence, which is another synonym for discernment, the intelligence of the body and the emotional being to know. Well, if you include all that data from the body when you're discerning what's, what's right or the right course of action or a good course of action for yourself, you're actually making the best choice for yourself versus using only the data that might be about the pros and cons and et cetera. It, that choice may not lead you to that which is the most suited to you because it doesn't include all of that information that's relevant to your journey, your path, your flow. I'm appreciating as I reflect back on our first three conversations, how actually embedded in those conversations were some capacity to discern, you know? Um, We talked first about um, commitments and and renegotiating agreements that no longer uh, feel right for us, which requires a quality of, of, of our capacity of discernment. Um, what was the second one we talked about? Uncertainty. The, right. Right. The, the fertile ground of uncertainty. 
and living living without a whole lot of handrails which requires the capacity to discern kind of as you go not knowing all the information how do you how do you sit with not only find your comfort in the unknown but also move forward into the unknown that requires a level of of discernment as as does the the last topic we talked about which was freedom and that being able to navigate that all requires this capacity for discernment I have this great example, um, kind of, you know, of, of, of a moment where I was sort of helping someone I'm working with kind of notice what was right for them in terms of a, make, a choice making that might be useful to share. Um, and, it was, and it was just this morning, actually, and you know, I'm working with a nonprofit organization that's really poised to bring what they do into the world with more vim and vigor. <laughs> and um, they're, they're, they're getting feedback from a whole bunch of possible funders. They're getting feedback from, from, from the, you know, from the current program partners that they have. And they have the luxury right now of having most of their work be paid for by fee for service. They're solar. Um, they install solar electric in, in remote areas around the globe. And all this work is coming towards them already. They're getting requests for, for um, to do projects in Myanmar and, and um, Kenya and, and all these places that really align with their values and align with what they want to do. And then on the other hand, there's, there's a push for them to get more strategic about how they direct their work and to have a very clear overarching um, strategic purpose, which would um, basically direct all of their energies in a certain way. And you could write out, you know, there could be a strategic plan that says, puts out all the data about where the most strategic investment might be for them. And you're, what I'm noticing is that they're right in this, in this interesting position of having to discern whether to trust that what's coming towards them that seems to fit within what they want to do and how they want to do it already easily, naturally, organically, to trust just following that, what's coming towards them, or to really drive towards a goal that they think they could design and put all their eggs in that basket. And I asked the person that I'm working with to, I said, which of those do you just feel more easeful? And I even notice in myself as I ask that question, it feels like a luxury to ask oneself, you know, what feels more easeful? And I notice how quickly they and I tend to diminish what that answer might be which is the first more organic path right. because we think it should be hard or even that or even we can't imagine that it could be that easy yeah, right which is kind of just the other side of the same coin <laughs> like how can it be that easy you know wait it just feels too easy yeah and the notice that how our minds want to tell a story around that too easy, you know, oh, it's, that's too easy. 
And, and I guess, you know, then, then asking also asking, you know, what, what's at play in the more directed strategic approach, you know, getting all the data, knowing where we want to go. There's a lot of will, personal and collective will in that, um, that doesn't allow for other information, like just what we were talking about when we were defining discernment, doesn't, it may not allow for as much broad and, and nuanced information to, um, to create in. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the definitions of discernment uh, what the synonyms of discernment is sagacity, sagacious, right? To be sagacious, mm. be sage-like. Mm. And what's interesting is that our sages have something in common with what we might also call the mystics or the saints, you know, that there is some level, and then maybe this is the, the Christian context that comes into the definition of is, is a view that has some kind of spiritual guidance or understanding infused in it. It's not just the cognitive. Um, that to be knowledgeable is different than being wise. And sometimes the most, you know, the sages do things that seem kind of like we call it crazy wisdom, right? Like it doesn't make sense to people at the time or in the moment, but it turns out to be, so wise and and we have made so many decisions uh, as human beings based on our limited capacities to know and a lot of our decisions have not been very wise and we're paying the consequences now for that and and wise is to me, one of the definitions of wise is, is bringing, is seeing from a much higher, broader perspective, standing way back and looking back on this field or this landscape and being able to see the broadest patterns, you know, represented there. I think it's really interesting, Helen, you know, I was reading, um, a lot of Bill Porter's work. He traveled in China for many years. He translated a bunch of Chinese, ancient Chinese poetry. He, he wrote a book about the, the hermits in China. And there's been this tradition for thousands of years of these um, sages who have gone to live in caves in the mountains in, throughout the middle of the country, thousands of years of history retreating into that to be still, to, you know, really be still and to distill themselves. And all the great emperors would go and, and bring the sages into their courts because they were always the ones to give the best, as in most discerning, most sagacious, advice to the highest leader in the land about a next step that really had the largest, longest view. And some of those sages would stick around and stay in court for a while because they were well regarded. And some of them would say, I'll help you a little bit, but I'm out of here. 
<laughs> Which I think was Lao Tzu, right? And the Tao yeah. Te Ching. So the so yeah. the myth goes, and the Tao Te Ching. It's so beautiful. It's lasted, you know, thousands of years. So much of it is directed to leaders and how to be a good leader and how to be in flow uh, with the people and let the people di- help you to discern where to where to go, what actions to take. Let life itself inform you rather than some idea you have about life. Yeah. Well, and then when you read, um, you know, <clears throat> the, the details of the hexagrams and the I Ching and how it describes as the book of changes, you know, where we're at in any period of time related to a decision or related to where we're moving in life, I noticed that a lot of that language feels it's requiring a level of discernment, not just to make the choice or know how to move, but to actually interpret the writing requires you to step into discernment, to, to not, it, to stay curious, because it's not just telling you what to do. It's really asking you to uh, take in more information from your environment before acting hastily. Amen. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to transition out of where I'm living. I've been living in one place in Bellingham kind of temporarily. And I, for a lot of reasons that I don't need to get into, it's, it's, it's time to go. Um, but I don't want to know where the next place is. And so I'm practiced at this. I know how to do this. I know how to now take a leap without knowing exactly when or where the net is going to appear, but I'm in discernment. So um, I, I put out an email to my community saying the season would be very supportive to be in transition uh, with the intention to find a more permanent home by the fall. Please share your thoughts or ideas or connections with me about um, maybe some house sitting or something I could do this summer as an interim. And within 24 hours, I got fabulous responses. Within 48 hours, it seemed all locked up. <laughs> it seemed really <laughs> clear. Um, not wow. only for the summer, but b- for beyond. And it uh, mm. sounded like a pretty ideal place that I, I went to look at. And it's kind of magical. Um, and um, in this time of discernment, you know, sorting through some of the details, kind of doing a due diligence, if you'd say, to make sure that I'm not just leaping into something um, unmindfully, uh, because just because it, it was there. Uh, I'm, I'm finding some of those details aren't matching what I wanted or what I expected would be good for me and so then I get to watch what happens like that. Oh, maybe this isn't right. Right. So like my energy moves forward in my body and like there's this forward momentum in my energy of excitement when I start to meet um, possibilities, when what life is presenting me seems to line up with what I want, similar to what you described with the client that you're working with this nonprofit, like what life is showing me has a, a beautiful kind of forward engagement feel in my body. Um, Not way out ahead of myself, but like I'm leaning into something. 
And, um, and then as all these details start arising that aren't matching um, the specifics that I thought, like for instance, something very specific, like high speed internet access, right? Something we've kind of, if we're living in any amount of an urban area, we've, we've come to take for granted. Yeah. Um, and it makes what we're doing here today possible. It makes a lot of what I do in the world possible. But that now has become a bit of a glitch. And I watched my energy in the 24 hours as this started to sink in about like, oh, no, it doesn't have something that's so important to me. My energy kind of pulls back and I pull a little bit. Um, what I can describe is that my energy feels like I'm kind of pulling up and out of my body and a little more into my head. I'm realizing I kind of have lost touch with a bit the felt sense. All right. So I keep coming back into what's my felt sense in my body. And yeah. just today, um, I started to let go of the idea that this was my place and just really be okay with that not being oh. the place for me. And then what occurred to me in the moment was what might it look like to do my work in the world and have high speed internet access in a different way that I'm used to? What if I would have to leave my home to do that? And, you know, so suddenly now I feel more in my body again and I feel more space. And as I was looking at like co-working mm -hmm. opportunities, um, I kind of saw some benefits of, wow, this potential home is a bit removed. It's on a mountain. It's a little bit isolated. But if I was needing to go down into town and be in a co-working environment, I couldn't mm -hmm. meet with other people. There might mm -hmm. be collaborative opportunities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyway, you get the point that Suddenly, when I was willing to let go of an idea that I had about what was right or what was good, suddenly more space comes into me and creative opportunity. That's it. You, you created space. Right. You know, I, I, I just watched you through, through, through both listening and through observation because we're on this video call, but I just watched you go from moving towards the attachment to the idea, which kind of creates a grasping. And then having, and then your mind started to get busy when you were fearful that that idea wasn't exactly what you thought. Mm -hmm. And then you stepped back and took space by saying, what if it didn't work out? And you didn't, it didn't bring a whole emotional load for you because you were so early in this, but you could have, you know, you might've been yeah. really attached and there might've been some emotion, which would have made it harder to do. Right. Um, so no, I, I really noticed how, you, how quickly you did it. Like, and so by doing it that quickly where there's not a lot of emotional attachment, you know, that's where it gets harder. All this space, you created all this space yeah. for realization about a bunch of assumptions you had about how your, your life needed to be. Exactly. Hmm. Even as we're sitting here now, I notice that my my physical emotional energetic system um is kind of settling into this idea like oh 
the obstacles might make it more wonderful rather than uh, less wonderful, which wow. is a paradigm shift. Completely. Obstacles being bringing good things instead of bad things. Well, it's a creative, you, you just worked with creative limitation. Yeah. You got a limitation and then you worked creatively with it. You allowed it to simply give you a more expansive view of what was possible, right. which is freeing as all get out when you, and, when you think about it. And you, you, know, you point out the speed at which I'm able to do this, and, and some of that is certainly because, as you say, it's early in the process. I'm not deeply attached. Um, but part of it is, Lisa, that this has, is how I've been living really consciously for a lot of years now. And uh, it didn't come as quickly to me. Um, even the things that didn't seem like a big deal could have felt more emotionally sticky years ago in a way that they, you know, the same thing isn't today. One of my um, kind of areas that I need to grow in and where I'm really eager to, to learn new ways of being is how can I sit and be with people at all different levels of relationship in my life and actually come into my body more as I'm with them because I can feel that fear's running. And of course, if I meet them with uh, any kind of statement that sort of points to that fear too much or contradicts their decision-making as problematic because it's fear-based, you know, none of that works. <laughs> you know, Of course, there's the easiest thing of just to start asking them more questions to kind of see if their logic might help free them, you know, un unravel them a little bit. Cause sometimes I can do that. I'm good at that. But what I've discovered even more lately, Helen, is that I actually have to just be in my body as I'm, I'm sitting with them or I'm sitting across from them or I'm having a conversation. Can I just let go of my attachment, my grasping at wanting them to wake up <laughs> to the fact that they're running on fear, <laughs> right? So I'm sitting there grasping. I can feel my gripping. You're running on fear. You're running on fear. And I'm gripping around that, wanting it to change. How ironic. <laughs> so I actually have to sit back, do the practice as if I were wanting to be a better discerning person and practice discernment for myself. But instead, simply be the energetic in the, in the twosome or the threesome, or if I'm in a room of people who are all, um, because uh, then I mirror what they could consider doing. Um, I simply just do it. And I have to trust, I have to let go of trying to shape them, get them to use a different logic model, whatever that is that I'm doing. Instead, step back, do exactly what you did, not attach, to them being any different and actually just radiate as best I can some grace about the truth that they're struggling with a lot of fear and see what happens when I do that. So the, the humans around me right now are such amazing mirrors for, the, it's like immediate information 
of the choice I can make um, to do what it is I would like them to do. (laughs) (laughs) Stop gripping. This is what I call holistic communication is what you describe. It's how do we listen with our whole body um, and become uh, a listening body in a field of another person or multiple people. It's what I do in a a group of people as a facilitator is I I just um, bring my own body awareness, you know, my own breath, my own sense of grounding, my own connection to my feet, my butt, my heart, my mind, you know, my emotions. Um, Because um, what I've discovered over time with some help of some really beautiful guides and teachers over the years is that, you know, bodies speak the language of bodies. So our bodies are reading each other. Our emotional bodies speak the language of emotional bodies. So our emotional bodies are reading each other and speaking to each other. And the the same with the mental, without ever any words being spoken, even with our eyes closed, we we feel each other. And, um, you know, I've mentioned before neuroscience, and there are these mirror neurons in our brain that are mirroring um, what's, what's happening around us. So yes, if we, if we can just find our own sense of peace and groundedness and love and compassion and spaciousness, we actually invite it in whatever field we're in, whether it be with an individual in a single conversation or a group of people that we might be facilitating or participating with, or even the the larger field of our country, our world. Mm -hmm. I also think it's, um, a paradigm shift to give yourself the time to let new information come in and let that information inform how you're feeling and where you want to go. And what if we made decisions or we gave ourselves permission as we were discerning because it's often involving other people, often it involves other people and there will be impacts to others, make our discernment more explicit. Make the, the idea that we're going to practice a discernment process and it's going to take us a little more time and we're going to use a variety of means to get there. Um, make it explicit and it's almost like you could model in doing that, we're going to be modeling for other people that um, discerning takes could very well take take more time because it's like you're digesting something, and digestion takes what it takes. I had the privilege to work with an organization last year that. Uh, really values mindfulness. Mindfulness is actually something that they, they teach to organizations and businesses. And um, we had a, a retreat in which uh, some people, uh, I think, expected that we would have a kind of a vision, a vision and mission um, retreat. And, you know, we would, we would write a vision and mission statement perhaps in this, you know, one day retreat or half day retreat that we had. And 
I took the liberty because of the kind of organization it was to invite them into a much different process and invite them into a process of really seeing where the organization was and they were small enough that we could actually hear from the individuals of like what were the individuals wanting to show up for like Mm -hmm. what what did the organization itself Mm -hmm. want to have happen you know Mm -hmm. and where were their strengths and where was the juice the energy the excitement because when we go back to this idea of magnetizing, whether it be like in my living situation or your client's situation, right, of where the business is coming from, where the opportunities are coming from, that's right. an important thing to pause and consider, not to do it from this kind of outside in. What do we think we should be doing? What's what's valued in the market? What should we be creating? What services should we be providing? And what words should we use to to describe it because that's what people want to hear. It's more like, what are our unique gifts? What do we as an organization want to contribute to the world Mm -hmm. with a a good deal of trust then that that goodness comes from that. When people are doing what they're passionate about, it will magnetize goodness. (laughs) Totally. Totally. You know, and I want to also just highlight, you know, because I, I can see as we're using this word magnetize, you know, it makes me immediately go, oh, and then there's that whole concept of, you know, attract, the, the law of attraction and the secret and all of that. And this thing of, you know, if you just line your intention up and you can get everything you want, I hear it in a lot of, um, of different kind of spiritual-ish <laughs> teachings. <laughs> and um, I think something you said is actually way more um, relevant here in terms of the value of, of discernment and magnetizing. You said that as you started to detach from a certain outcome, you got a whole bunch of information and you've actually now opened up onto a new landscape that you didn't even see before. So I think it's, it's, you, you, you actually let go of a number of things in order to follow a bigger desire. A, and, and I think you let go of a lot of personal attachment to some ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm reading into it, Helen, but you know, I'm, I'm just saying but for you're accurate, the point yeah. of theory there that, that you like, you, you did. And so, um, you, you said yes to what wants me to learn. Mm. You said yes to an invitation to a, a, a much more creative, much bigger energy than any of us can see or imagine that wants you to dance differently for a little while in this different direction. And you, you just opened up to it and saw yourself in a different way, Um, which is different than the idea of, okay, I want this. And so I'm going to get really clear about my intention about it. And I'm just going to attach to that vision. And then I'm going to completely let go. And, and, and in large part, you know, sometimes that's a beaut- then, then the road to getting there is, is the adventure. Um, and even when you get there, it might be very different. But discernment, it seems to me, if we're going to go back to that concept, is about a moment-to-moment learning about what new starts to emerge when you have a light touch 
on what you want, what you think you want. A really light touch so that you can dance with this energy and this flow and this surround sound. Yeah, yeah. So when I work with individuals in their personal lives or leaders in in a professional space, I talk about what success feels like. That that success, I say, is an inside job, right? So so that we need to know what success feels like in our bodies and our emotions, because our minds is not the place to determine success. They can get very attached to outcomes. And and I think life itself is far more creative than we can imagine. Totally. And, and so if we get attached to just the pictures of outcomes, which yeah. is what so many people do, I think, in this, what I would call maybe a spiritual materialism or this. Yes. Yes. Uh, how most people perceive of this law of attraction. Right. Stuff. Um, it's, oh, I have this mental idea and I'm just going to latch onto it and then supposedly let go and let it happen. But <laughs> it's yeah. like, it doesn't, it's, it's like the, um, the monkey, you know, monkeys, they, they put their hands into the, through the mm-hmm. bars to grab the banana and then they can't pull the banana back through the bars, but they won't let go of the banana because they want it. But if they just <laughs> let go of the banana, then they could, you know, get their hand back and maybe figure out another way. <laughs> but that's what we do. So I mean, we say, oh, I'm not attached, but we are attached. We, we do yeah. grasp on to. And so, but if we use our feeling sense, our body sensation, our emotions mm. as uh, a, a discerning factor, mm. uh, things like what I just described in my own situation happen. Mm. Like, oh, it looks differently than I would think a good outcome would look, but I started to feel joyful and spacious and like, oh, that could be kind of cool. So there is an example of using that more subtle intelligence, the body intelligence, the emotional intelligence as part of the discernment process. And what there's nothing that would keep people in organizations um, from using a fuller, more comprehensive intelligence to make decisions and you're right that will sometimes take a little time that's a new territory and for so many people it is so we need a little time to practice yeah (laughs) we do and what you're saying Helen it's essential that we feel joy and spaciousness we have to know what that feels like so that we can value it because if we don't know what it feels like, we won't value it. And then we wouldn't ever know that success could be feeling joy, joyful and spacious. Mm-hmm. We'll just attach to a mental concept. I was in a conversation with a dear friend of mine this weekend about shifting paradigms in workspaces. And um, she's in a situation on a board where the pace of change um, isn't satisfying to her, but 
she's not coming at it from what I invited her to see is that it's not an impatience like we need to hurry up and solve the problem. Her impatience is we need to actually approach this problem differently. And I think what's happening in interesting organizations all over the world is that we're trying to have different outcomes or trying to change systems, but we are still operating in the same paradigms in which this, these systems were created. You know, So it goes back to that Einstein quote that we can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created the problem in the first place. And so I think we're at this pain point, if you will, of growth where a certain level of dismantling is absolutely required because we can't just um, put a Band-Aid on something. We can't just, you know, go to sensitivity training or, you know, uh, disrupting privilege or microaggression or, you know, whatever the trainings are um, and expect them we can just plug that into the system and it'll be business as usual but even better. You know, it's like, no, we actually, there's a certain amount of dismantling that must happen. It's one of the challenges we face that as long as we're in this paradigm, this competition paradigm, and we have to beat everybody, we're going to bump up against this trying to put Band-Aid fixes on things that really need to be dismantled either completely or to a great degree that's really uncomfortable. And then how do you still have a viable business, a viable enterprise in the dismantling process. And I don't say this with an answer. I just want to point to a challenge. And, and so all of our conversations thus far speak to this need to slow down and be okay in the discomfort. Mm -hmm. None of this is going to come about quickly overnight. Um, any organization that is trying to make a change actually needs to respect that it needs to be a bunch of individuals who are willing to make individual changes that then will support collective change. Right. Yes, absolutely. And so what we're exploring is this challenge of allowing feeling to really be a more prominent part of how we make decisions and how we discern. And if we can see that that feeling, that task, <laughs> it shouldn't be a task, is that invitation <laughs> is as, as difficult as it is for a whole host of reasons. We're so unpracticed at it. There's so much feeling that hasn't, that, and it feels like it'll be too much. Um, it feels very vulnerable. Um, it's a whole new kinesthetic sense. There's just reason after reason why feeling is hard. Um, start small and simple with an individual. So if we're going to start somewhere, we, it starts at a really simple place and it's one-on-one -on -one and it's with ourselves. And so now that I have a sense of how to feel more and more expansively and more, more, with more nuance in myself, what I notice when I'm sitting with others, and, and I'll do this even, you know, I'll do this with most people. I'll find that somewhere in the conversation, 
if we're sitting next to each other and we're close enough, there will be a time where I can touch them physically, where I will find a way to touch their hand, their shoulder lightly. It's not a, <laughs> it's not an invasive touch. It's a super subtle reminder that we're bodies. Mm-hmm. And I, it's never done in a way that I've planned out. It's always as if the moment arrives and I can feel this is when there's a space for the most gentle reminder of a physical connection. And I find that it's a way of me expressing love to someone else right at that moment where the love feels the most vibrant between us. Mm. And I see it as, and I experience it as an offering of love, which means that it isn't taken as an invasive piece of my space and, but it's taken as a love offering Mm -hmm. in that moment. And to me, that has been one of the simplest ways to bring us into kind of that sacred moment where we realize this is really, um, this body of ours is very much what's present between both of us right now. And let's not forget that how much of what the body is sensing and feeling is what's actually going on between us. Thank you for what you say, because it feels so important and it feels really also dangerous in our culture. I don't want to digress too far, but there is a way in which our Judeo-Christian um, foundations of, of this particular country um, have vilified you know, the body and uh, detached us from our bodies. And um, even in, especially in work cultures, you know, reference to the body um, is sexualized, you know, and it's taboo. And, and now in this heightened um, culture of, of fear, a worry, concern about uh, which is totally understandable about what's appropriate and what's not. You know, I think we're also confused by how to include the wholeness of ourselves um, and be appropriate, you know, um, and not cross boundaries that make people feel unsafe. But what's interesting is in my work with people, the more the body gets included, the safer people feel, right? Because we are bodies, we are in bodies, and uh, when we can just name what's true, our nervous system can begin to relax um, because more of us comes online and is validated. Mm-hmm. So it's an interest, it's an interesting challenge, mm-hmm. um, but in this culture of body being taboo, emotional intelligence, body intelligence so easily gets um, left out and it must be included to, to, to make holistic decisions, uh, to make decisions in a different way than we've done to date, which is primarily, you know, neck up um, decisions. Yeah. So we came, so we started talking, wanting to talk about discernment. We defined it for ourselves. 
we felt into our conversations are all about feeling into something. We felt into where it wanted to go and we've landed here at this sort of seminal, maybe, um, you know, idea related to discernment is how important um, the body's intelligence um, is in, in that process. And it's quite a journey to rediscover how this body um, you know, can be recognized and valued by me more in all that it uh, knows and all that it can sense about what's going on. So it's a big invitation, um, but I really feel good about the way we've explored it today. Yeah, me too. And so maybe a final invitation would be for um, anyone who's listening and cares to join us to just begin to notice all of the elements that go into your decision-making and see if you could invite more of what we're calling discernment, this subtle perception uh, that is not about judgment, but obtaining some kind of spiritual guidance or understanding that includes the body and the emotions and really slowing down enough to see how you, not only what you think about a choice that you have or an issue that you have in front of you, but how you feel about it in your emotions and in your body. Yeah. Give it equal time. This has been Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted. If our conversation inspired or provoked you, we hope you'll start a meaningful exchange with the people in your life. We're grateful to Kevin McLeod, who generously provided this music, and to artist Tom X, a dear friend of Lisa's, for providing the beautiful painting that graces our show title. Until next time, may we all remember the sometimes miraculous power of real dialogue and practice having kind, curious, and naked conversations.